Welcome to Andy Staples on three. And if you're sick of the Tennessee versus the NCAA thing, don't get sick yet because it's just getting spicier, getting juicier every single day. Usually with NCAA cases, everybody keeps their mouths shut. This is not one of those cases. This is one where everybody keeps talking or releasing statements or firing at one another in some way, shape, or form. In this particular case, it is Tennessee Athletic Director Danny White. So a day after the NCAA fires back at Tennessee Chancellor Dondi Plowman, and a day after the state of Tennessee and state of Virginia, the uh, attorneys general file suit against the NCAA involving this investigation into Tennessee's recruitment of Nico Yamamelava. We get this statement from Danny White, who's been getting a lot of interview requests, as one would in this situation. Well, he decided to put it all down on paper, or at least on digital paper. This is a statement he released on Twitter or X or whatever we're calling it today. The first sentence, making fun of the NCAA's statement from Wednesday. The NCAA, and then it gets bold and italicized, generally does not comment on infractions cases. That's exactly what the NCAA led with in its statement. So here's what Danny White says. The NCAA generally does not comment on infractions cases because there is a rule against it. However, that has not stopped them in the past from leaking information to the media as they did this week about us. This is all true. Their actions made this ill-conceived investigation public and forced us to defend ourselves. It is clear that the NCAA staff does not understand what is happening at the campus level all over the country in the NIL space. After reviewing thousands of Tennessee coach and personnel phone records, NCAA investigators didn't find a single NIL violation, so they moved the goalpost to fit a predetermined outcome. They are stating that the nebulous, contradictory NIL guidelines, in parentheses, written by the NCAA and not the membership, don't matter and applying the old booster bylaws to collectives. If that's the case, then 100% of the major programs in college athletics have significant violations. This is obviously silly and not productive, as is blaming the membership whenever they are challenged. We need to be spending our time and energy on solutions to better organize college athletics in the NIL era, something that NCAA leadership failed to do back in 2021. Student-athletes, prospective student-athletes, coaches, and administrators across the country deserve better, and I refuse to allow the NCAA to irrationally use Tennessee as an example for my own for their own agenda. That is Danny White. And the people in the chat, very happy with that. Not a lot of folks liken the NCAA, but there are people who obviously say, well, what? But did Tennessee do something wrong? Maybe they really did something wrong. Well, we'll find out. Basically, what we've seen leaks so far, he's right about those leaks. The, the NCAA does strategically leak things. Trust me, they do. And what we've seen so far is that, that, that right now, this case seems to stem from Nico getting private plane trips while a recruit. And in, just from what we can gather, he's with Spire Sports, which is the marketing agency slash collective that is attached to Tennessee. So he signs with them as a client and they're saying, we can fly our client anywhere you want, we want. And the NCAA is saying, but you're a bunch of Tennessee boosters. So this is clearly a recruiting inducement. That's what they're saying. 
Now, there's two separate tracks here. I want everybody to remember. You have the NCAA investigation into Tennessee. You have the NCAA saying Tennessee did something wrong. You also have the lawsuit from the state of Tennessee and the state of Virginia attorney generals, which essentially is saying that the rule that Tennessee is accused of violating or all that, that whole set of rules is illegal because it violates the Sherman Antitrust Act. So if the case succeeds, none of the other stuff matters because the rules will be deemed illegal by a federal court and they can't enforce them anyway. If it doesn't, well, then Tennessee's got to deal with this. And one reason Tennessee is fighting this so hard is because Tennessee just had an NCAA case. They're in line to be what's considered a repeat violator. Because they did it, they had a case where Tennessee actually dug up all the dirt itself on Jeremy Pruitt, bunch of recruiting violations because they wanted to fire Jeremy Pruitt for free. And they did that. They, so they weaponized the NCAA against Jeremy Pruitt, got out of a $13 million buyout that way. But unfortunately for Tennessee, that means they're on the hook. If they get caught with something else, that's a big problem. Now, what Danny White is saying is everybody does this. And you know, back in the day when there were, we had all the under-the-table payments, everybody who was accused of it would say, well, everybody does this. The truth was not everybody did it or not everybody did it in you know abundant fashion. It was not as widespread as everybody. But in this case, Danny White ain't kidding. What they did with Nico actually kind of set the blueprint for what everybody else does with everybody now. So he's not wrong that if they can get Tennessee for this, they really can get every major football and basketball school for almost every player they've signed in the last year and a half. That's what makes this so interesting. And that's also why... I think you'll, I, I said this yesterday. I think you're going to see other states join that lawsuit because I was told on Thursday that the NCAA sent out more letters of, I don't know if they're official letters of inquiry, which means we are investigating you, but they have a, a, at times sent out questions to schools saying, Hey, we saw this about this player, this recruit. Can you explain this? A bunch of those got sent out in the past couple of weeks to various schools. So double-digit schools got these things. This is not isolated to Tennessee. It's not isolated to Florida. It's not isolated to Florida State. It, it's widespread. And that's what I question here. That's what I think is so weird about all of this. The big schools, the SEC schools, the Big Ten schools, the ACC schools, the Big 12 schools, like they, they're the ones that the NCAA needs on its side or the NCAA is either going to be left behind or completely reorganized in a way where the current people aren't there anymore. So you can say the schools make the rules, but these particular schools have decided that this is now standard operating procedure. And they, are, they do not want to be punished for what they consider 
to be standard operating procedure. So you got to watch out if you're the NCAA. Be careful how many tigers you want to poke. You've already poked a pretty loud one. And that's a, I was talking to somebody about this today. And it's, it's sort of like basically you're, you're in, a, in a fight and you're out of other weapons, but you have one nuclear warhead at your disposal. And that's essentially what Tennessee has done. They, they didn't have any other weapons in this fight. And so they just pressed the button on the nuclear warhead. That's the lawsuit. Because there's a pretty good chance it will end all of the NCAA's rules against paying recruits, talking money with recruits. It's a very good chance that's what's going to happen. And I don't think the average college athletic director, the average college president two years ago would have said that's an outcome they want. But I think there's a few right now are sitting there with a letter from the NCAA going, well, if they're going to come after us, we may as well just get rid of the rules because nobody's following them anyway. It's, it's going to be wild. There's more, by the way. There's more. So, also on Thursday, Tennessee offensive lineman Jackson Lampley filed a declaration in that lawsuit against the NCAA. And I think you'll see more of this too. People jumping in, uh, probably on both sides, with declarations, uh, what they call amicus briefs. And they will say, hey, I have some information that might help you determine how you want to rule in this case. In Jackson Lampley's case, he's a he's a an older player. He's an offensive lineman. And he's not a starter. And I, I think some people will say, well, well, okay, what does he know about NIL? You know, he's not getting the big money offers. That's not actually the point. Because what, what the state of Tennessee, what the AG in Tennessee and Virginia, what they're accusing the NCAA of is suppressing this market with its rules so that you can't tell recruits what they might get. Now, Jackson Lampley actually started college before the NCAA allowed NIL payments. So, He's one who has dealt with recruits, though. You know, you've got to host recruits. You've got to answer their questions. And so he explains the process first. He says the signing of the letter of intent. And by the way, LOI, letter of intent, NLI, national letter of intent, NIL, name, image, and license. Too many N's and too many L's. If, if there's any reform I can ask for once this case is over, it's we gotta we gotta change some of these acronyms. We we gotta do something else. We can't we can't keep doing this. It's too confusing. All right. I digress. Jackson Lampley says the signing of the LOI is the end of the recruiting process. Once the LOI is executed, competing schools are forbidden from contacting the recruit. While many athletes provide non-binding verbal commitments to a school during prior to signing the LOI, that does not necessarily signal the end of the recruitment process. Recruits still have the power to reconsider their commitment, and some recruits make it clear they're still willing to hear from other schools, thus potentially shopping one opportunity against another. This He's just kind of explaining how the process works. And so basically what everyone on the one side of this lawsuit says is nobody makes a decision about a financial opportunity without knowing what the compensation package is. You know, if if you get offered a job, you 
you're not going to take the job and then say, oh, by the way, how much do I make? It's actually not, I, w- I will say, in my life, once that happened, and it was because I was young and not very smart. Uh, when I got hired by Sports Illustrated, when when the guy said, we'd like to offer you a job, I said, I'll take it. Oh, I think I'm supposed to have so much it pays. But I'm dumb. These people are smart. You do want to ask before you take it. And so Jackson Lampley explains that too. He says, almost every recruit I meet with asks first and foremost about NIL, but they also ask about all the same factors I considered in the pre-NIL world. Just like finances are a factor for every other college student's decision for where to enroll, how much weight a recruit puts on financial costs and opportunities ought to be up to them as simply part of finding the right fit for a given athlete's circumstances. In my observation, NIL has become one of the top factors that current recruits consider when determining where to go to school. Yeah. Just like everybody else, money is something everybody considers when they make these big life decisions. So that is your update on Tennessee versus the NCAA, which is going to be hot. Remember, Tennessee and Virginia, the states, the the attorneys general, want that case, or at least the temporary restraining order in that case, issued prior to National Signing Day on Wednesday. This is all coming down the track fast. I don't know if that's all going to happen, but that's very quick. So we'll find out probably pretty soon. And look, stay tuned. There could be more on this Friday over the weekend, early next week. It is not slowing down anytime soon. No else is not slowing down. Prize picks, the most fun fantasy sports platform in America. Sign up for prize picks. Use the referral code Andy. They will match your first deposit up to $100. Here's how it works. You're picking squares. So you decide two squares, three squares, four squares, five squares. The more squares you pick, the higher your potential payout, but also the higher your risk. How do you do it? Well, you can do it with football, with basketball, college, NBA, hockey, cricket, Tennis, esports, you name it. And they've got Super Bowl squares up now on prize picks. And looks like they're doing a little discount on Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl. That's right. Free square, basically. If Patrick Mahomes passes for more than 0.5 yards. So if he passes for one measly yard, you win that square. The question is, can you win the other square or the other two squares? And where do you want to go with that? Do you want to go Brock Purdy more or less than 242 and a half yards? Travis Kelsey more or less than 69 and a half receiving yards. They also got some goblin and demon ones. The, the demon squares are interesting. A little harder to get, but they pay out better. Goblin ones, a little easier to get. They pay out less. Debo Samuel, 0.5 rushing, receiving touchdowns, demon square. So if you pick that one and Debo scores a touchdown, you're in good shape. Or let's say you pick Debo and Rasheed Rice, two demon squares at 0.5, and you say more than on both, and they both score touchdowns in the Super Bowl. You're doing very well. You are having a very, very fun Super Bowl Sunday. So that's how prize picks works. Use that referral code, Andy. They will match your first deposit up to $100. And it is a great way. Just throw, throw a little extra out there and have a little little different rooting interest in the games. 
the truth in the chat. I can make so many dirty jokes about Kelsey and 69 and a half yards. Now, I, I, that's why I didn't say nice right afterward, the truth. I was trying to stay up here, and you brought it down here. But yeah, we were all thinking the same thing. I, I know. Speaking of bringing it down here, another NCAA case reached its resolution point on Thursday. And this is one we will not be criticizing the NCAA over. You feel free to punish this person as much as you want to and as long as you want to. It was a 15-year show cause for former Alabama coach Brad Bohannon. He was the baseball coach who was fired last year for leaking inside information to a buddy who was at a sports book right before Alabama played LSU to start a weekend series. It is one of the dumbest NCAA cases we've ever seen. One of the dumbest gambling scandals we've ever seen, not because of the NCAA enforcing it, not because of, of the people doing the enforcement with the, the, the ones who caught Brad Bohannon and his buddy, but just the sheer stupidity of Bohannon and his friend. So this NCAA report had some, some more specific details than we've seen to this point. Oh, boy. All right, so here's what happened. It's a, it's a three-game series. This is opening night. It's a Thursday. So the way the SEC does those is usually they go Friday through Sunday. But for featured series, when they want to put one of the games on TV uh, kind of all alone, they do the Thursday through Saturday. So the Thursday night game is really kind of the time to shine. Well, in this particular case, they're starting a series in Baton Rouge on a Thursday. And the guy who was going to be the starting pitcher for Alabama hurting a little bit as he's warming up. Bohannon realizes he's got to scratch him from the lineup. And so Bohannon is in touch with his friend on the Signal app, which is an encrypted messaging app. And his friend is at the sports book at the Great American Ballpark in Cincinnati, so where the Reds play. And so... Bohannon texts to the better hammer. And then the pitcher's name is out for sure. Let me know when I can tell LSU hurry. So basically he's saying, get your bet in before I have to turn in my lineup card. And then everybody knows this guy's out. So here's what the dummy friend does. He tries to bet a hundred thousand dollars on a Thursday night college baseball game that is happening in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and he is in Cincinnati, Ohio. If you don't gamble, it may not make sense as to why that is so odd and weird. College baseball is not a sport that people bet on frequently in the regular season. You get to the College World Series, there's more action on it. But even in the College World Series, the idea of a six-figure wager on a college baseball game it's going gonna, it's gonna to bring some, some red flags up. Somebody trying to place a six-figure wager on a random college baseball game on a weeknight in the middle of the season is going to throw up every red flag. So the sportsbook staff limited this guy, limits this guy to a $15,000 wager. And again, if you, if you don't bet, maybe this doesn't make as much sense, but the reason you can't just say like fix a random, you know, Sunbelt women's basketball game on a Tuesday and then go make a million dollars is because if you try to bet that game, a sports book is not going to take a lot of action on it because they'll know something's up 
So if you come in and you say, I want to bet $200,000 on the Texas State versus Arkansas State money line, they're going to go, no, you can, you can bet 500 bucks on that. That's, that's all. So that, that's how this works is, is they initially see the, the number and they're like, oh no, we can't do this. And they had already, at that point, the sports book had already contacted U.S. Integrity. And this is, this is not in the, in the NCAA report. This is from when I had to write the story after it happened. Uh, Cause I talked to the folks at U.S. Integrity about how all this works. That's the service that the sports books and the leagues hire to watch these things. So basically, within minutes of this, all of this information has been passed along to all the sports books who subscribe to U.S. Integrity and the sports leagues that subscribe to U.S. Integrity. So everybody knew what was going on. This is why he was fired so quickly. But this is this is even, even crazier. So the suspicion, this is from the NCAA report. This suspicious activity included the better's insistent demeanor to get the, pl- the bet placed and statements to the sportsbook staff that the bet was, quote, for sure going to win and, quote, if you guys only knew what I knew. The suspicious, wait, it gets better. The suspicious, the suspicious activity also included the better showing sportsbook staff messages from Bohannon and explaining that the messages were Bohannon informing the better that Alabama was scratching his starting pitcher before the game and before Bohannon alerted LSU. This is the stupidest thing ever. You're at the sportsbook counter, and you're saying, I know the fix is in, and here's who's fixing it. It's the dumbest thing ever. How stupid can you be? Brad Bohannon deserved to be fired for having the stupidest friend on the planet. Taz says, scared money don't make money, Andy. <laughs> but dumb money don't make money either, Taz. And dumb money, dumb money didn't make any money here either. What a just unbelievable, colossal feat of stupidity this was. So Brad Bohannon, yes, 15-year show cost. He'll never coach college baseball again. And I, I, like, there's a special place in hell reserved for people who bet against their own team. I, I truly believe that. Like, you know how I feel about most NCAA cases. I, I'm not a big fan of most of the rules. In this case, fire the man into the sun. Like, that's just, you, you don't you do not do that. You don't bet against your own team. Ever. You just don't. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. But, see, I don't always criticize NCAA enforcement cases. Not every time. Sometimes, sometimes I agree. And in this case, I very much agreed. But, all right, we got to talk about something a little less dumb, a little more fun. I was at the Senior Bowl this week in Mobile. A lot of great stuff to, to see and a lot of great guys to talk to. Uh, Jim Nagy and his staff at the Senior Bowl did a fantastic job putting on that event. And it's just it's so much fun to watch some of the best college players you saw all year play against each other, practice against each other, really test themselves against some of the best in the country. So we're going to play some interviews with some of these guys that, that were out there. One big star from a big school, Adisa Isaac, the, the edge from Penn State. We're going to talk to him. 
two small school guys who you probably didn't hear at that much about during the season, but you're going to be hearing about them over the next few months. And they're very cool. Their stories are great. And they were so much fun to talk to. Uh, so Jalex Hunt, who's an edge rusher from Houston Christian, he used to play at Cornell, did not play with J.D. Piquel, not that young or not that old, but he played for the Big Red before transferring to Houston Christian. And then New Hampshire running back Dylan Lauby, who if you, not, if you don't know him, you're going to hear his name a lot over the next three months. So a lot of fun watching those, those guys. And, and I told you yesterday, like, Watching Tavondre Sweat from Texas, the defensive tackle, just blowing people up. He was doing it again on Thursday. Uh, Bo Nix looked fantastic. He, uh, you, you'll hear me in, in the interview with Dylan Lobby talking about a throw that Bo Nix made, which was a definite NFL throw. It was a beauty. And he had a bunch of those. Michael Penix Jr. looked good, too. Uh, Joe Milton from Tennessee, he struggled a little bit. But for the most part, People kind of were as advertised. And, you know, I think we'll we'll see how this affects the draft pecking order. But I do think like Jim Nagy and his staff did a really good job this year putting that field together. I think they're gonna have a lot of first and second round picks that come from this roster. So give the senior bowl a watch on Saturday. It, it's it's a tremendous event, and they have some really good players this year. It felt more star-studded than ever. And I, I just had a great time talking to those guys. So let us talk. To Adisa Isaac, who, you know, captain on the Penn State football team and, and really just continuing a great line of edge rushers at Penn State that I think continues and, and we'll see. We'll see it keep going here in these next few years. But they, they lost a really good one when Adisa graduated. But he's uh, he's repping Penn State, making the, the Nittany Lions very proud right now. Here is Adisa. Joined now by Penn State captain Adisa Ice. What what was that like when you get that that C? Uh, it was great. I mean, it was very eye opening that my teammates, you know, kind of voted me in for that type of role, and I was just very honored, you know, at a place like Penn State being a team captain. It, it's a great responsibility and a great honor. What what is that like? Is it because it's it's kind of a line that you, like it was Shaka Tony for you was yes, that was your mentor, yes, and then sir. for you, you know, and you, you're in there with Chop, and then you got these younger players coming in. What how do you how much responsibility do you feel to pass that on? Uh, I feel like a great responsibility because somebody did it for me. And I feel like um, it's only right that I kind of pass down that knowledge that helped me get this far and, and pour that into somebody that's, that I see with talent as a young player. Yeah. So when you look back on, on your career, what what is the one memory or, or that sticks out or the one time? It, it didn't even have to be a game. It could be practice. It could be anything. But what's the one thing that you think, man, I'm going to miss state college? Um I would just say, I would say the just the summer, the summer, summer, uh, summer times at the creamery. I would say, cause, oh yeah, know, yeah, because we we go um with some of my teammates, the D line. You know, we all go after hard practice. You know, we head to the creamery and just bond and have a good time. And those are some of the memories that I can't forget. You know, it's just great times at State College. So, yeah. what is your go-to creamery flavor? Go-to at first, um, I like the Death by Chocolate. Uh huh. Um, oh yeah, that was a nice. I've one. had that one. Yeah, but you know, I'm I'm a vanilla guy, so. But the death by chocolate took me. Um, wow. Took me okay. You that. are a vanilla guy. Yeah. Okay. So I, I used to be very down on vanilla. Right. And then I read about it actually has a much more complex flavor profile oh, okay. than chocolate. So vanilla is actually more complicated. <laughs> yes. And that is a. 
that's interesting because usually people don't, don't say I'm a vanilla guy. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm I would go with vanilla before chocolate, but until the death by chocolate showed up, showed up and just stole my heart. <laughs> so let's let's talk on the field here. This this season was not exactly what you guys hoped for, but still very good. Uh, you know, wh what does Penn State need to do to kind of get over that hump? Um, honestly, we just have to stay consistent and keep doing what we've been doing. I mean, um, we're, it's not like, like I said, it's not like we had a bad season, yeah. but, you know, we have bigger goals and our standard is way higher than that. Um, so we just have to be consistent and, and focus on the finer details of things and kind of just fine tune where we feel like we was lacking on the previous year. And when you see young guys like Abdul's got another another right. year, like yeah. when you see a guy like that, what is his ceiling? What can he be? And his ceiling is unknown. You know, he's, he's kind of just keeps progressing every year um, at a high rate. So, you know, the best you could do is just let him do what he do, do what he does and um, just keep improving from there. Well, let, let's talk about your path now. So you're you're headed to the NFL. What has this process been like for you so far? Oh, it's been great. Um, I mean, just meeting all these new, these great players, um, these like-minded individuals, these great coaches, um, and just keep growing and, and learning and uh, how to be a pro. Um, because that's where I'm trying to head. That's where I'm trying to be at. Um, and you know, just enjoy the experience. You know, try not to think about it too much and just kind of flow with it and have fun. So, who's been your favorite offensive tackle to go against so far? My favorite offensive tackle to go against, I'll say, is. Um, Michigan left tackle and um, Oregon State right tackle. There you go. Yeah. So all right. Those so are my two guys. This, this year, Ladarius. The... Yes, sir. All right. Yep. Appreciate yep. it. All right. Thank, Thank you. you. I appreciate that. Thanks. Bye -bye. All right. That is Adisa Isaac. And he got a chance to play in front of 107,000 people. Every weekend at Penn State, millions more on television, and he is a he's a hell of a player. And it, it's going to be fun to watch some of these other you know, younger Penn State guys, like Abdul Carter. Now I know he's not a, a just full on edge rusher; he's he's more of a a, a line, you know normal linebacker. But when he's rushing the passer, whew, it's it's fun to watch. So I imagine Adisa has passed along quite a bit of knowledge to. To young, young Abdul has one more year before he can go to the NFL. Another edge rusher at the Senior Bowl, Jalex Hunt. Really interesting path for him. Started his career at Cornell, went to Houston Christian, which is a, a fairly young program. And as you'll see from our interview, his thing is, look, I am where I am supposed to be at the Senior Bowl. I am where I'm supposed to be headed in the NFL. Is these coaches? That were that were doing all the recruiting that missed it. And he hadn't forgotten about it. Here's Jalex. Here with Jalex Hunt. Hello. Houston Christian. Yes, sir. But first Cornell. Indeed. What what a what a journey. So you let's we'll, we'll, let's go back. So you are we you and I grew up in, in basically the same place in suburban Orlando. Yes, sir. Between basically between Orlando and Daytona Beach. Yes, sir. And so you Star at University High School in Orange City. Yes, sir. And then you go to Cornell. Yes. And it's like, all right, I'm going to an Ivy League school, going to play football. <laughs> I mean, so what was that first part of it like? Just getting to Cornell? Yeah, oh, yeah. It's a wild experience. Um, there's, it's, it's a lot different from where we grew up and went to high school. I'll yeah. tell you that. It's, um, 
lot colder, a lot <laughs> oh, yeah. more gray. Um, Ithaca is gorgeous, they say. Though. They Ithaca is gorgeous, <laughs> but they call it gorgeous because of just the nature around Actual it, gorgeous. Yes. Actual gorgeous. <laughs> so it was nice. It was a nice change of pace. A lot slower yeah. than what I was normally used to. And a lot of different people. It's just a different culture up there in the Northeast. So, I mean, usually you make that decision to go Ivy. What, what were the other options football-wise or college-wise for you? There weren't too many, honestly. It was a couple of D2 schools, mm-hmm. D3 schools, a lot of D3 schools. But I couldn't just afford to outright pay. Yeah. You know, they don't have scholarships or whatnot. Yeah. So the Cornell was giving me the best package, even though they don't have scholarships. Right. They have financial aid. They do the financial aid, yeah. And, I mean – it's an Ivy League education, so yeah. It yeah. is. But and, but you go up there, and, and how much do you get to play, and how much did the pandemic kind of affect all of that? So I was there three years. I played two. Yeah. Sophomore year, no football. Wow. No football at all. We could barely lift. Me and my roommates at the time would go to a field and just work out on our own. Man. But for at least eight months, we weren't able to see it inside of a gym, go to the field, meetings, anything like that. Man. And then, so what made you decide to to transfer? I just thought it was time for me to take what I wanted to do a little bit more seriously. Cornell at the time, they had different mindset than I was agreeing with, just in terms of players. It seemed like they were okay with where they were Mm -hmm. performance-wise, and I wasn't really, and I just thought I needed to make the move. And Houston Christian was – they were moving up, right? They were. Yeah. Just – yeah, getting. I just needed an opportunity, is yeah. what I say. So they gave me the opportunity to play in the Southland Conference, a lot different football, a higher, a higher com- uh, competition level. Mm-hmm. So when they came calling, they were only people talking to me in a way that they could see a future for me. Everybody else wanted me to play special teams specifically, or yeah, to just be depth in the room. And so I went to HU. Well, and that's that's what I think is interesting is is you're here at the Senior Bowl. Yes, sir. One of the best, and you're playing against the best. Indeed. And in both cases, recruiting out of high school, recruiting as a transfer, you didn't have a ton of people just coming after you. Not at all. Is it is it kind of vindication for you to be here and showing that hey, I I was I belonged here all along. For sure, yeah. I definitely have a chip on my shoulder oh, because yeah. of that. It's just it's part of the story, especially going being called a small school guy, quote unquote. I'm not no small school guy. Just <laughs> I could just play football, and I happen to go to a little bit different of a competition level. Yeah, overlooked. So I got that. Yeah, I I, yeah. I, I can I can feel it coming off here right now. <laughs> well, what, what when you were at these these first few practices, Tuesday, Wednesday, how much do you want to did you want to show? Look. I am, this is where I belong. You know, I can compete with all of these people. That's the main objective. That was the only reason really for coming here, just to show that all of the scouts, uh, like I play football at any level, just put me on the field. It's exactly how I thought it would be, a lot faster than what I was used to, a lot different talent level uh, as far as the tackles go and as far as everybody goes, honestly. I went from, the FCF's level to literally the best in all football in, in yeah. college world, world. So it was, yeah. Well, I, so, I mean, how much do you weigh? 250. 250. So you were, you were on the lighter end of edge rushers. Uh, yes. And, and you were <laughs> – because I'm looking at some of these tackles walking around here, mm-hmm. and they are 
Massive. 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 But they're all, but like nobody's fat, nobody's sloppy. They're all athletes. So you're dealing with like 330 pound dudes who can move. Move. <laughs> move. What are those first few reps like against those guys? Aggressive, yeah. <laughs> physical. You, to a degree, you got to set the tone. I don't, want, yeah. I don't want nobody looking at me and saying, oh, that's cake. You got to work. <laughs> yeah. You're going to have to work. And this is a new position for me. Like you said, I'm, I am light. I usually play outside linebacker, yep. stand up edge, but we're running a crash nine defense this week. So. I need to just be able to hit my gap and blow somebody back. How much of uh, you know, just being able to show that versatility is, is important this week? It's very important. I mean, you're going into a league where cash is king, and they want to get the best deal for their dollars. So being able to show that you can play multiple positions, it's, it's very important, not only on the money side, but just showing that you can play football at any level. Oh, yeah. Uh, third level second level or right on the well, line especially because it, it, it also helps you schematically because you can you fit in any scheme yeah and you can hide some things without subbing out and exactly let the offense have to guess where you're gonna where mm -hmm. you're gonna be what you're gonna do so what, what's your favorite rep so far this week favorite rep so far this week it was the seventh rep of our our um boot our boot uh team series mm-hmm it's not, if you watch it, it's not a very crazy rep, but it just shows that I'm picking up on the teaching. Yeah. My hands are coming up a lot faster. I'm shocking the tackle first. I'm shedding and I spin to get out to get to the other side for the boot. And how much, the, the part that people don't see here, because we watch the practices and, and you see the game, but the meetings with the, the coaches from the NFL, not just the ones that are, that are interviewing you, but the ones that are coaching your team, like how much does that help you kind of understand what it's going to be like? It's a peek into the into the world we want to be in. Yeah. It's a lot different than college. College, they're talking at you a lot more. Yeah. But here, it's more like a conversation. You know what you need to do. This is not coaching the skill. or This is really coaching technique and what you should do in this situation rather than what you did. All right. Small things. So what's the, what's the goal? Like When you leave Mobile, what do you want to have gotten out of this week? I want to get the the misconception that I was a small school guy that played football well at that level. I could just play football, period. Jay Alex Hunt, appreciate it. Yes, sir. Thank you. Jay Alex Hunt is very determined to show everyone that, and uh, he's doing pretty good. Doing, doing pretty well at that right now. Another guy from a smaller school who is blown up this week, and understandably so, New Hampshire running back Dylan Lowby. You're going to hear a lot about this guy. He's five 59210 runs very fast. Like he's thinking 4.45 in the 40 at the combine. And if you watch him play, he plays even faster than that. Uh great vision as a back, but probably as dangerous or more dangerous as a receiver. And I think there's a lot of teams that are looking at what the 49ers do with Christian McCaffrey, with Debo Samuel. And you can go back. You can go back to Marshall Falk, to guys like that who were so versatile in both parts of, of the offense that they became a, a very big weapon. So Dylan Lobby played at New Hampshire, but there's a chance he could play his way into the third, second round maybe, depending on really depending on how well he runs. He certainly looked like he belonged at the Senior Bowl. And uh, it's one of those guys that, again, during the recruiting process, nobody saw it. But he knew it was there. Here's Dylan. Joined by Dylan Lowby of New Hampshire. Yes, sir. Blown up this week. Yeah, we're a pretty good time. Are you? Uh, 
did you know this was coming? Is this because usually guys when when they play at a smaller school, mm-hmm. but they know they're really good, mm-hmm. and they get out here, and everybody acts surprised, and is it is it hard to just be like, eh, yeah, I knew this was coming. I mean, coming in here, I mean, you gotta have the confidence. If you don't, then hey, once again, then don't even uh, show up really, because once again, I mean, I always believed in myself, uh, me and my family. So once when I got out here, man, I was like, hey, let's just go, man. Let's go let's have some fun out here. So you grew up in that, that noted football hotbed, the Hamptons. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah definitely. And, and one offer, New Hampshire. Yes, sir. But, I mean, you, you were this guy. And so for those who don't know, Dylan is a dual threat yes, sir. running back. Thank you. And then four-way special teams yes, sir. ace. Like, I, that's the thing. You, you, you blew up this season at Central Michigan. Yeah. 295 receiving yards in a game <laughs> as a running back. Yeah. Like, has that always been a big part of your game, catching the ball out of the backfield? 100%. Okay. Especially, my, I think I wanted to show my senior year, especially with the, our threats out wide and our quarterback, too, which is super talented. Uh, we wanted to say, hey, like, let's throw the ball. Yeah. And um, I wanted to kind of show, hey, I'm not just a running back. Because my junior year, I ran the ball a lot. Um, and we wanted to say, hey, like, let's put, uh, put me out wide mm-hmm. in the slot, out wide. Um, empty set and just go, and it, and it worked. Well, that's what I, I mean. I feel like that's where it's going, especially it's what the NFL teams yeah. want. You watch the 49ers, what they do with Christian McCaffrey and Debo. Yes, I mean, it because either one could be a running back or a receiver or a slot receiver. Yes, and that's what you know, you probably at your size might not be considered like an ideal NFL slot receiver, but exactly. your speed, hands, vision, everything else, you would be exactly. Exactly. So, um, especially you, you know, what's funny too. We actually our schemes um, that we watched all the time were the for, uh, for 49ers. Yeah. So once again, like we had kind of based our offense around the same scheme. So just like watching them, it's just so funny because it's like, hey, we're doing the exact same thing as them. How much fun is it when you're playing and you're in motion? Yeah. And you're watching the defense just go crazy trying to figure go out crazy. where you are. And the worst thing for them is when they go man to man. I know. I'm like, hey, here, here we go. Here we go. Favorite route? It's my favorite route because I run it so much and it works a lot. Is the hash fade? Is just the go. Just go and just throw the ball to me and just let me work, man. I'm trying to think. You had the, the catch from Bo Nix. Yep. That wasn't. What was yeah. that on the other day? Yeah. That so, was that. That was yes, okay. Sir. That's what that was. Yes, sir. It's a perfect to ball show too, right? It. Beautiful. Right on the money. Right on the money. So, what's what's this been like for you playing yeah. against? Because obviously, you know, I talked to to Jalex Hunt from yeah. Houston Christian. He yeah. said his thing was like, I'm not a small school player. I'm a great football player who just didn't get the offers. Like for you, what's it like showing what same you can thing. do against these dudes? Same thing. Well, yeah. Like, yeah, it's it's the same. It's the same exact thing because yeah. once again, like I think it was especially those big time school guys. It was all about opportunity. Yeah. And once again, coming coming from that. Hamptons, there wasn't much there. Yeah. So, um, I mean, it's a great town, but football-wise, there's not much there. So, um, opportunity is huge, um, especially in today's game with the NIL and the transfer portal. I could have probably left, mm-hmm. but once again, that just wasn't me. I'm the type of guy, hey, if they, if you are good, they will find you. So, once yeah. again, they found me, man. So, was that, was that even a thought before your senior year? Yeah, probably for like a day. Okay. I tried for a day, and then I realized, hey, like this was the only school that really truly gave me a shot. Why am I going to turn my back on them now? 
Well, New Hampshire's sort of always been ahead of the curve, like going back to Chip Kelly. It, it Chip feels Kelly, like, Ryan Day, yeah. all, uh, so many greats. It feels like you guys are – so now now it's, we've got a breeding the, ground. the next generation of running backs coming 100%, up. 100%. 100%. Um, it's, it's such a great school. The culture there is just why that place is so special. So since you've been here, yeah, have there been any of those guys, the big school guys, when you, you've shown what you can do, they've been like – Damn, didn't see that coming. First of all, they are like, what school are you from? <laughs> they have no idea what my logo is, my helmet. They're like, what is that? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it's New Hampshire. You're like Chip Kelly, Ryan Day. Yeah, you, come you on, man. You got to know about <laughs> it. Come on. Uh, what do you want people to to think about you, to see from you when, you, when you're when you done here this week? That I, I belong here. Um, I think a lot of people haven't seen me from, once again, that small school, hey, the, com- the competition wasn't there. We don't know if he's going to fit into all these schemes. Yeah. We don't know if he's fast enough. And I want to show, hey, like, hey, I actually belong here with my speed, my versatility. I could beat guys one-on-one. I could show, hey, like, I truly belong here. And you know what? I deserve to be here. Dylan Lobby, thank, thank you, you so much. Thank you. Appreciate, appreciate it. it. Man, that's awesome. He definitely deserves to be there, and, and he's going to be a fun one to watch. But – in other news involving people who once worked or played at the University of New Hampshire, Chip Kelly, reported by Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network to have interviewed for the Las Vegas Raiders offensive coordinator job, which did not go to Chip Kelly. It was given to Cliff Kingsbury, former Texas Tech coach, former Arizona Cardinals coach. But Chip Kelly interviewing for that is is very, very interesting because Chip has expressed his displeasure with the state of college football quite vociferously lately. And so it is not a surprise that he might want to return to the NFL as an OC. We'll see if that happens. But another thing, we just saw Jeff Halfley do it from Boston College. He's Boston College's head coach. He takes the Green Bay Packers defensive coordinator job. Now, I would not be stunned if Chip Kelly's name also comes up in the BC job because it's a little bit different recruiting profile than UCLA and it's home for, he's from new England. So it's about as close as home, as close to home as you can get and be in a core for what I didn't say uh power or whatever conference. So don't be shocked if that name comes up. Don't be shocked if his name comes up in other NFL OC searches, because again, he's talked about, how he feels about the state of college football. So, you know, perhaps BC, which would be a little bit easier recruiting situation, maybe not the same pressure as UCLA headed into the Big Ten, or could be another NFL OC job. Another coach potentially considering NFL OC jobs, Liam Cohen from Kentucky. And that that Bucks job is still out there. And that's one that the folks in Big Blue Nation are a little worried about. But As Nick Roush from Kentucky Sports Radio explains, they are not as worried about that as they are about the state of the basketball team right now because they've lost two of three. They're going into a game against Tennessee on Saturday. That's probably the game between the two best teams in the SEC. We think they're the two best teams. It's it's tough times in Lexington for Coach Cal. We'll talk about that with Nick and also about Liam Cohen and Mark Stoops and what might happen in the next few days. Here's Nick. We are joined now by Nick Roush of Kentucky Sports Radio. And yes, we're going to talk a little Kentucky football with Nick, but 
listen, it's basketball season. So we got to talk about the cats uh, because it is one of those moments in Bl big blue nation where they, they were kind of out on coach Cal, then back in on coach Cal. And after giving up a four point lead in the last 37 seconds against Florida last night, maybe they're starting to head back out. Snip, snap, snip, snap. It's, <laughs> it's, it, it, it. I, I was thinking about it the other day. It, this is the 10-year anniversary of Aaron Harrison starting his run, right? It was about this yeah. time 10 years ago, Kentucky struggling, and then all of a sudden they go on this crazy run, and then they don't lose a game until they get to the Final Four against Wisconsin. So I, at the time, I wondered how much how much time is Cal Perry, how much goodwill has he built up? And I think the correct answer is about nine years because the last <laughs> five have not been great. And now he's on a Final Four drought that's as long as the one that Tubby Smith was on uh, when he got ran out of town. And so the angst, it's every time something like this happens, people are that much quicker to ready to jump off the boat. The, the, the well, let's wait till March. There's a chance they can't till March. That isn't really happening because you're losing games at home. You can't do that. They mm -hmm. haven't been winning SEC tournaments. They haven't been winning regular season SEC championships. And when you lose games that you have won, like you, Ugana Nienzo has 13 points, 16 rebounds, eight block shots, and he gets you the tip in with 30 seconds left to go about four points. You think the game's over. I was at rough. I got to go with my dad and be a fan and just cheer in the stands. It was awesome. I was having the time of my life. They were going to pull out that win. And then you look up and you're like, why? Why is this going overtime? This this a three a three off a good. missed free throw. Now I I, I didn't get them ki like killing them for not fouling up three. I, like I'm a big foul up three guy, mm -hmm. but off a missed free throw, who who thinks to foul in that situation? That that's true, but it's just there was there was so many reasons where that game they just it's like hey you make this free throw. Maybe if you don't foul, then don't leave the one guy who all he does is shoot threes. Michael Clayton Jr. made seven shots, and all seven were threes. And the worst part was you had your best defensive player on him, and he just was like, oh, maybe I should sag off and help. No, you don't help. You let him shoot a layup. But maybe <laughs> because that guy played 40 minutes, he just had a brain fart. I don't know what Reed Shepard was doing. He had a career high 24 points. Six. I mean, it was – Oh, and, and a man. and a career high forty five minutes because <laughs> he played the whole thing because they have no the they have no depth right now because they got injuries. Well, and then the week before they played too many guys, and now you're down to only playing five guys. So it's 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 you're at this point again where you're asking yourself about coaching decisions, but more importantly, it's late game execution. And ten years ago, Cal had a little bit more rope because he's two years removed off a national championship. So when they're in in that 2011 team, that team lost every basically every SEC road game. But Brandon mm -hmm. Knight goes to the Final Four. So we had this proof of concept, right, where it's like, well, yep. they have freshmen. You give them time. The problem is, is like I, how many people have patience for that when you're not going to second weekends in the NCAA tournament? Zach Gagan's been writing for us. He's been working full-time for KSR for, I think, five years. I don't think he's seen a second weekend. Like, that's just – that that that's that's just mind mind boggling uh, as Kentucky fans. So the frustrations are real. Um, but the other side of the coin is though, Andy, is it's like, well, we know this team is much better, like talent wise, they're better than what we've seen. 
The problem right. is they're just running out of time to figure things out. Like this, the the blown late game execution, they did that against Kansas in week two, right? They, they've yep. done this previously, and you're just like, okay, well, when are they going to start figuring out? When's it going to click? Now, you could argue you don't have your starting point guard, DJ Wagner. That 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 certainly plays a role in it. But the, still, it's just the patience. It, it It's not there, and it shouldn't be there for Kentucky basketball fans because this is Kentucky basketball. It's Kentucky yeah. basketball. Which is like saying this is Alabama football. And exactly. It, it, and that is that is the, the part I think fans of, of schools that don't expect this don't understand is a drought like what you said where, where you don't see the second weekend for five years just feels untenable yeah. i think I, I think i was at kentucky's last second weekend game it was uh, a it was a sweet 16 game in atlanta 2018 no, tournament so that fortunately that was not because that was a catastrophe it was the uh, t- they lost to an Auburn team in the Elite Eight where Bruce Pearl that's, that's rolled right. out that's right. Kiki like he was uh, yeah. Walt Frazier. You know, they, they yeah. pulled the whole injured guy. The Willis but, Reed, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Willis Reed, not Walt Frazier. Walt Frazier had a good game that game too. <laughs> but the month before that game, Kentucky beat that Auburn team by 28 points at Rep Arena. And then, and then they lose to him, and they said, like, that's, that's, um, that's right, that's right. I forgot 2019. That, it, but, but that is now five years removed. It's been a long time, and it, it was. But I will tell you, if Kentucky fans want a little levity, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna provide some for them because I'm gonna make them suffer by listening to something from last night. But I'm gonna cheer them up by giving them something from three years ago that sounds exactly like it. So uh, here is Coach Cal last night after the Florida game. We lost at the foul line. They had seven more makes from the line than us. Probably the you know the major difference i look we more points from turnovers more points in offensive rebounds more points in transition more points in the paint more and i said how the hell did we lose when you look at some of these numbers but that's why it was an overtime game and then we missed a free throw they made a three boop now it goes to overtime more of this more of that the only stat that matters is total points yeah i would i would agree um, and you get that by making more threes. Um, you also more might get throws. that if you out rebound the other team. Um, you know, <laughs> the total points that that's the one that matters. Points at the end of the game, too. Kentucky was up by 10 before, with, with I think. Oh, Kentucky got middle aided, they got middle aided oh. last night. <laughs> they were, <laughs> that, they were and, it's 10. a football term, but yes. Yeah, they were up 10 with a minute to go. They give up five straight points, and then they open the second half and give up six more. They're losing. It's like this should be a 10-point game. Yeah. All right. I, I'm going to make Kentucky fans feel better now. Are you ready? So let's turn uh, I'm, back the clock. I'm daring you to. Please. We just we just played Coach Cal saying we, we had more of this, more of that, more of this, more of that, and we still lost the game. And how do, how do we lose the game? And when I heard that, it immediately reminded me of another Kentucky Florida game, but this time in football, and this time Kentucky won. So oh. this is following the 2021 Kentucky Florida game, uh, which Kentucky won 20 to 13. Uh, here is Dan Mullen and uh, my friend Cassidy asking asking the tough questions. Last one for me. This, this is the first game really we've seen under you where the offense is just sputtered. Do you feel like you were almost out coached tonight? No, 
but you know, 382 yards. It's, I guess that's sputtering. Is that it? I don't know. 380. We had 382. They had 211 yards. So uh, I, I wouldn't think that would be the case. Uh, I think uh, guys played. Guys did some pretty good things right there. Uh, moving up and down. I think uh, we got to really look at the penalties that we have and how to get ourselves in a better situation that way. Uh, you know, I got to do a better job coaching up the PAT field goal group. Uh, they're a physical group. We outrushed them. Uh, we outpassed them. We out-total game them. We had the time of possession. We were better on third down. And mostly just the penalties, I would say that's a that's a decent part to it. We got to, you know. So more of this, more of that, but they had more points at the end of the game. And it, it, what what the the reason this reminded me so much of that is cuz that is kind of when that's when the Florida fan base really started to turn on Dan Mullen. And at that point he had had a pretty good run. Like it wasn't yeah. it wasn't they bad at a, that point. They were in the SEC Championship the year before. Right, like, they were, and they then they had beaten Tennessee that season, that 2021 season. They had barely lost Alabama at home, and so the goodwill was still there. But that's where it started to erode. And so the reaction from Kentucky fans to what Cal said last night, because in in both of those cases, like Dan Mullen before he said that in that press conference, explained that there were six false start penalties, huge part of the game, big reason they lost. Cal, same thing, free throw. You know, they made more. Huge part of the game, but the only thing the fans grab onto is talking about how you beat them in certain stats, but lost the game because they they're just they can't take it. They can't take the excuse. I, I, Andy, you, you're supposed to make me feel better, but now I'm realizing that worse? a lot of these John Calipari press conferences are sounding like Dan Mullen press conferences because just <laughs> so when he comes out know. in a Darth Vader mask, you'll know. Oh gosh, I, I wouldn't put it past Cal. You know, it, oh no, oh no, we can't. Not Dan. We we like Dan Mullen. We we like he he got the he ended the streak. Wasn't he the guy who said I, I pity the guy who's going to lose this streak against Kentucky, and then he he lost the streak against Kentucky. Yeah. So um, about that, that is one of uh, Kentucky's. Two wins under Mark Stoops against an SEC team that finished better than four and four in league play. Yeah, yeah, that did happen that year, 2018. Uh, Kentucky <laughs> didn't even average 20 points of offense per game that year. Um, if we want to get into the stats, what part, a but- segue, Nick! What a segue <laughs> because that is what we're going to talk about next. I do want to talk to you about Kentucky football and Liam Cohen, Kentucky offensive coordinator, possibly up for the Tampa Bay Bucks OC job. What's the what's the fear level? It, in it is it is uh, even if he doesn't get it, it, it is threat level midnight from an optics standpoint because we went through this rigmarole about a month ago when he was in the mix for the Bears' offense coordinator position. And he was also kind of talked about as Ryan Day's play caller before he hired Bill O'Brien. And there's this sense, I mean, that all came a month after Mark Stoops in Texas A&M had some very, very, very serious conversations where people were wondering, does everybody just want to get out of here? Why? Why is the, the house, 
is the house burning down? This was <laughs> we were having fun not that long ago. We were beating Florida. Just right? beat Louisville. Like, just beat Louisville. Oh, they're throwing L's down in Jack Harlow's face. It was a great time. And now you get Brock Vandergrift, you've got this quarterback, you got some great transfers. It feels like there's a lot of upperclassmen things. It's going to be hard this year. You go to Texas, you've got Georgia at home, you got to go to Ole Miss. But there's a sense that, like, okay, this it's been a rough couple of years, but hey, the band's all still here. We can have a fun 2024. And now it feels like Yoko is trying to break the band up. And just because Liam's got wandering eyes for the NFL. And I, I, this, this, I love that Yoko is Todd Bowles in this case. And you know what? Now that I'm, I, I forgot that Todd Bowles initially, th- this has been a thing. For, like he's liked Cohen previously. And the part about this job that does scare me, Andy, is Liam Cohen did not have a successful tenure during his one year with the Rams in between the right. back and forth flip flop snip staff. But the one shining moment was during their just melange of injuries. They bring in Baker Mayfield on a Tuesday. <laughs> oh my and God. A, it was a Thursday night game. I remember I watched that in an airport. Oh my yeah. God. Oh, that's which that's the most perfect game to watch in an airport is Baker Mayfield yes. coming in. And they were playing somebody who was actually kind of good, if I remember, but Baker comes in and wins the game. And that was he gave Liam a lot of credit for getting him ready, getting him geared up. Um, but what I've taken from all of this is that. Preacher Cohen, like there was a lot of like, well, maybe he wants to get back with Levis in Tennessee. You only heard his name in the middle of jobs where he could call plays. This mm-hmm. is a play calling opportunity. He's worked with Baker before. Tampa, I, I would think Tampa is a nice place to live. They were in the playoffs a year ago. They, if they yep. re-signed Mike Evans, like that, that could be a, a fun place to work. So they're – uh, I hope this isn't dated by the time this comes out because I, I, I think it actually might happen, um, especially with how eager it seems to be that, that Liam is looking elsewhere, which is not, it's not great. It's not, not great. Not a lot of great vibes in Lexington right now. Well, and, and it's interesting because I texted you the other night because Mark Stoops had gone on one of the, the in-house shows and talked about you know how Liam has complete control of the offense. And you wrote a story about it. I texted you. I was like, Define complete control because that, like, he can call the plays he wants, but like, if you want to go for it on fourth down, that's still, that's still that's a Mark Stoops decision, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like the one job that a head coach has is clock management, time management, fourth down decisions. The buck eventually stops somewhere. Um, so the the idea of complete autonomy does he give his offensive coordinators enough control? Uh, that was a big talking point here, but. Some of it, I think, comes back on Liam, and I, I think he's a little worried that if he doesn't have – he's been successful and pretty much just seemingly always climbed this ladder throughout his coaching career, and the Devin Leary-Liam Cohen project did not work. Um, right. It was – now, if you if you kind of dive in, it was still the second-best offense of the Soup's era in almost mm-hmm. every metric, uh, SP+, plus, a lot of that sort of stuff. It wasn't great, though. And if he has another one, I'm sure there's some anxiety that, well, I don't know if they're going to want me back in the NFL if I do this again. Well, and and so here's my thing with, with Stoops that I'm wondering. Is it a situation like, Lee, like Lincoln Riley with defense where Lincoln Riley's 
overarching philosophy makes it hard to have a good defense. Mark Stoops, like we, we talk about with the control and who has autonomy in the office, Mark Stoops ultimately will control the tempo, though. That's the sort of thing that the head coach is going to decide because it also decides how the defense plays. And you know, I, I just think he has yet to really let an offensive coordinator let it rip. It feels like Cohen's year with Will Levis was the closest to that. Yeah, and I, I like the connection you made there. Because that's always been the, he's putting the shackles on them. And I think to a degree that is true because they've been at their best when they've just run the damn ball. And they've had some damn good running mm-hmm. backs, right? Um, hey, the Lynn, Bo- the Lynn Bowden option offense was pretty sweet, I thought. It was a lot of fun, which Andy, uh, a kid the other day, said he started watching Kentucky when he was a kid when Lynn Bowden started playing there. And I just, all of the hair. You felt very old, didn't you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It all fell out. Oh, oh yeah, Craig, but, Craig 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 East would never the Craig East <laughs> senior that is if I wanted to make you feel old. Oh yeah, yeah, you got Russies who's playing for the Rams now, which is even just. But I digress to to the overall general point. The buck does stop at Stoops with control and also with your offensive output, your overall numbers, the production. Like these offensive issues that you've dealt with throughout the Stoops era. There's only one constant there, right? And that's Mark yep. Stoops. Um, and to go back to that 2018 year, they did only average, I want to say, 19.3 points per game in 2018. Might have taught them a bad lesson that you can just run the football and win here. Some of that <laughs> schedule and things went the right way. Um, uh, but I, I do wonder, you brought up Cohen's success in 2021. There's part of me that wonders how much of it is the the Jimmies and the Joes versus the guy who's telling the Jimmies and Joes what to do because Wondell Robinson broke Craig Geese air raid records that he said well, with Tim Couch. That Florida game we brought up, the the play of the game for either team offensively, really the only dynamic play that either team made offensively was Wondell Robinson takes a little dump off and just yeah. scoots through the full, whole Florida defense. Yep, yeah, went like 50 yards and then the other offense Kentucky had was blocking a field goal. Um, so in that, but that year you had Chris Rodriguez third in school history in mm-hmm. career, rushing six yards of carry. Yeah. And you had Wondell Robinson, like I said, broke the air raid records. Will Levis second round draft pick. You had Darian Kennard, Kentucky's first consensus, all American offensive tackle since 1965. Then you had a center who started every game for two years for the Jacksonville Jaguars. They had guys on that team. They had dudes, right? So I don't know how much of it. Is is it how much credit does Cohen get for that? And in Eric Wolford, who the offensive line coach that they surprisingly brought back from Alabama, which Andy, I know that that probably doesn't move the needle nationwide, but like basically they drug his ass through the mud when he left for Alabama two years ago, and now they're you know the prodigal sons are turning home like nothing happened, and it is that's college football though. Why would you leave for Alabama? Well, I don't know why would I leave for Alabama. Nope, Kalen DeBoer is bringing his offensive line coach with him. Come on back. To bring this full circle, too, since you brought up Kalen DeBoer, to go back to John Calipari, there is this sort of, especially with the younger generation that grew up with John Calipari, there's a fear that once Cal goes, that like it, it can only be good if he's there. But like Alabama, I mean, Kentucky's <laughs> had five 
different coaches win national championships. Yeah. Nick Saban's not the only one that can win there. But, but, but. I mean, Rick Patino is literally still coaching. So it's it's not like it's that hard to remember. <laughs> exactly. And, and here's the other part of it, too, though. It can get bad, though, because Billy Gillespie does happen. So I'm not saying that Kalen DeBoer will be that, but there is a part of Alabama fans, man. You've had it so good. You've had it so, so good. As, as, and, long, as, Kale, as long as Kalen DeBoer never makes somebody ride back in the equipment truck from a road game <laughs> or sit in the bathroom during a team meeting, I think I th- th- those are Billy Gillespie deep cuts, I know. but Yes, Um we had the team get off the bus because the oh yeah. God, I miss Josh Harrelson so much. Oh, George. Which he had 25 points in a game against Louisville. Who would have ever thought that would have happened? <laughs> oh man. After getting uh, stuck in the bathroom in the closet with so, Billy G. So for those who don't know, round of applause out there in Listenerland for for Nick because when I called him about coming on tonight, he said, I'm in a Chick-fil-A. My kids are in the playground. My parents are in the parking lot. They, they are driving from Kentucky to Alabama. In the, so this is on the interstate. This is not near home. My parents are in the parking lot. The key is lost. The key is somewhere in the van. But we don't know where. But we know we couldn't have gotten here without it. So, <laughs> How long, it how long did it take to find the key? <laughs> you know, um, we... This is not uh, a rare occurrence, uh, so much so that we thought, hey, one year for Christmas, this is the best Christmas gift ever, is getting the little the towel things where it's like, oh, you push the button and it beeps and you find it. It should take no time, right? No time. Um, None. It, you have to correctly label the towels as to what they are. So we did find mom's purse. Grammy found her purse, so that was good. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, in 10, 15 minutes, uh, naturally, the, the, the keys were on the console. They slid into the snack bag. And they were hiding under the stuffed animals. But you know what? We, we found it. It was an hour and a half Chick-fil-A trip. But you know what? There's worse places to spend an hour There's a and playground. Free yep, refills. Exactly. My, my pleasure. Oh, the ice cream. <laughs> Beautiful. Nick Roush, you're a hero. Thank you oh, so much. And this has been dad life with Nick Roush. It, 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 <laughs> the dad life, it never stops. Football, basketball. God, just Kentucky, please don't. I don't I don't want to come back here and compare Dan Mullen to John Calipari in a month because that – we need happiness in March, all right? We're, we're dealing with our coaches wanting to leave in football. Please just give us give us some fun basketball, please. Please. I. I have faith when the injured guys return. I, but they got Tennessee on Saturday. Oh, we'll gosh. see. Can they handle yeah, Dalton I, Connect? I'm, I'm sure nothing ever as bad has happened when Kentucky plays Tennessee. No. Nothing. <laughs> Thanks, Nick. Nick made it, and so have we to the end of the week. But one more little piece of news. My pal Scott Dockerman at The Athletic, he covers Iowa reports that Iowa is working to self-report a level three NCAA violation regarding impermissible contact with Caden Proctor, the offensive lineman who, remember, famously flipped from Iowa to Alabama before signing day, played at Alabama this season, started every game at left tackle, entered the portal when Nick Saban left, and went back to Iowa. Now, during an interview at one point in the season, uh, Proctor said that the Hawkeyes, quote-unquote, hit him up 
While he struggled during SEC play, that led to tampering allegations. Uh, Dockerman writes in his story that it came via a text message from an Iowa assistant that encouraged Proctor to, quote-unquote, hang in there. Some horrible tampering right there. I don't care. Everyone tampers. But who knows? Maybe there'll be a full-blown investigation, or maybe it'll be a level three violation. Or maybe there won't even be any rules next week. We'll see. Been a crazy week this week. Next week might be even crazier. We'll talk to you then.